We did it. We did it. Yes. At the very same time as our last podcast went out, Henry Kissinger died. Now, I don't want to say that we killed him because I think that would be not. Yeah. But if everybody asked me on the street, like, did you kill Henry Kissinger? Yeah. We, we, we just, we won't deny it. We can neither confirm nor deny that yeah, we were a part of, of Henry Kissinger. And of course, while it's sad when any human being dies, it was actually hilarious and wonderful that this particular human being died um, because he was involved it's, in several war crimes. Yeah. It's, it's, it should be the question if he's a fucking a human being. I mean, that's a bit anti Semitic. Hey. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. No. The, the closest. Oh, the next closest thing you'd be telling me he drinks baby's blood, does he? Yeah. <laughs> the only thing I'll say that's close to that, when it comes to Kissinger, as I was telling you, uh, I've been re-listening re to the uh, Behind the Bastards slash the Doll because they are mm -hmm. part of the episodes about Kissinger uh, in celebration, right? Um, and where they talk about his early life, that he was being attacked by Nazis as a yes. child, young young man, he would be, he was beaten up on a regular yeah. basis. It's the only time in my life I ever thought, man, I kind of wish the Nazis like fucking did it. You know what I mean? Why did they, they could have fucking killed I was me briefly on the side of the Nazis. <laughs> yes, that's what I'm saying. I was, you know, I kind of wanted them to commit a hate crime at that point. I'm sorry. Yeah. You know? I'm sure everybody's seen the quote now, but um, Henry Kissinger is on record as saying, if it wasn't for an accident of birth, he said, I would be anti Semitic. Yes. So, amongst other horrible fucking racist, terrible mm. things. So remember, so, yeah, so nothing to do with us, though. I mean, it, it just we our show just happened to go out in the very same hour that Henry Kissinger died. And it's it's not I mean, we're not going to make a big deal about it. We're certainly not going to open a whole show just by pushing this agenda. It's yeah. not something yeah. we do <laughs> no, it's not at all. to, to we're revel we're in the glory of something mm. at all. So, uh, no. so yeah, we killed him. How about that? Yeah, I, I didn't call that? off call off work all week and sit around and just lounge and mm. mask in the glow of the demise of a fucking war monitor. Did not do that. No. Yeah. So we got you one Christmas present. Yes. And now... to untangle the things and put them on the tree. Oh, hey, hi. Yes. Uh, welcome to the Jib Christmas special. Uh, this is not like a, a regular episode, so I'm not going to do the regular thing at the top. I'll just say welcome to our friends and our uh, benefactors. And uh, just leave me alone. I'm trying to do a thing. And I hope you enjoy our show because this is not like a normal show. What we did was, and we in the sense of Seamus, what we did was we tried to figure out how we could relate this podcast to Christmas. So uh, your story relates to Christmas, mm -hmm. and mine does as well. And uh, Mine involves the FBI, your involves the CIA. So. Mine's the CIA, but full disclosure, uh, Seamus gave me my story and just said, <laughs> write this, Barry, I think it's interesting. And I said, okay. And I also found it interesting, and I wrote a bit on it, but it was Seamus's idea. This whole thing was Seamus's idea, and I hope you like well, it. Well, to be also... The story you're going to talk about was one of our what's new segments, I believe. Mm. Yeah, mm. we we, we strung it out to an entire half an episode, as you will <laughs> discover soon. Yeah, uh, um, we we'll go FBI first, will we? Yep. So the first uh, story we're going to talk about involves "It's a Wonderful Life." Oh, okay. I like that movie. Yep. Uh, it's a Wonderful Life. Uh, spoilers if you've never seen this film. Um. It's a Wonderful Life, per IMDb. Uh, an angel is sent from heaven to help a desperately a desperately frustrated businessman by showing him what life would be would have been like if he had never existed. Pretty pretty apt, right? Ex explanation yeah. of the, the, the movie, right? I mean, the, the film has become a Christmas ritual among families in the mm -hmm. U.S. Uh, to watch uh, while embracing the crushing weight of late stage capitalism, <laughs> stuffed into a holiday perpetuated by corporate greed, mm. or that's Arbor Day. No, I'm sorry, not the same, not the same, not the same holiday. Anyways, um, so yeah, 
it's become a uh, uh, it's become a tradition. It used to be actually the movie didn't do that great in the theaters. It was only whenever started airing on television that it started becoming a big kind of you know sensation and kind of picked up again, and uh, it became a big holiday hit because less than what one tenth of the film is actually during Christmas. But hey, it's a Christmas show. That's the old Die Hard debate, isn't it? Yeah, is it a Christmas uh, movie or is it Die Hard? Die Hard actually was in Christmas. It was around. Yeah, Christmas. but is it a Christmas movie or is it just a movie with Christmas oh, in it? Die Hard. Die Hard's a Christmas movie. Are you sure? Die Hard. Yeah. Or does it happen yes. to occur at no, Christmas? No, hey, you hey, said any my, movie at Christmas. In my house, okay, Christmas doesn't begin until Hans Gruber falls off the Mount <laughs> Fair enough. Okay? Yeah. All right. So just saying. Yeah. It's a great scene, isn't it? It's yeah. like the like the guy falling down the stairs in cycle. You know? <laughs> Did you hear the story about that with Alan Rickman? Yeah, they they didn't tell him. Yeah, they miscounted on purpose. They gave him like they say, okay, on the count of three, one bam. <laughs> <laughs> That's why he loves that. <laughs> wonderful, wonderful. Yes, uh, I do. Uh, poor Alan Rickman, I love that man. In the psycho, um, yeah. in the psycho thing where a guy goes down the stairs. Everybody told Alfred Hitchcock, you realize that looks really fake, right? That looks like ridiculous and fake. He says, yeah, I know. That's why I did it. <laughs> <laughs> right. You think oh. I don't know? I mean, that's I'm, I'm Alfred Hitchcock. Who the fuck are you? <laughs> so uh, around the time of this film's release, mm. um, 1947, the House of Committee on Un-American Activities here. Hey, we talked about them sort of briefly. Um and this episode's kind of lead up to another series that we'll be doing eventually. Uh -huh. I'm sure you'll kind of see that coming. Um, hearings led uh, about systematic know, right? blacklisting. Yeah, maybe uh, of uh, Hollywood artists among witnesses uh, deemed friendly to capitalism were Gary Cooper, Walt Disney. Speaking of anti-Semitic, uh, SAG SAG president Ronald Reagan. Of course, shitheads. Uh, FBI drafted a book-sized uh, damning report co-authored by none other than libertarian heroine and queen of cunts, Anne Rand. Queen of cunts. Yep, there she is. Anne Rand, there she is, yeah. yeah uh, the Celebrity atheist, Anne Rand. Yes. <laughs> yes. Uh, and definitely going to be a returning champion at some point. Uh, oh, the 13,533-page report entitled... Hey, against the Thirteen thousand five hundred thirty-three pages. Me, okay. Yeah, yeah. Toy Story. You know, take a seat. Uh, uh, communist infiltration of the motion picture industry, mm. uh, which quoted from a pamphlet published by her. The purpose of the communist in Hollywood is not the production of political movies openly advocating communism. Their purpose is to corrupt non-political movies by introducing small, casual bits of propaganda. Into innocent stories, into oh, yeah, the CIA would never do that. No, not at all. It's like where did they get this idea? Uh, people absorb the basic principles of collectivism by indirection and implication. Few people would take communism straight, but a constant stream of hints, lines, touches, suggestions, battering the public from the screen will act like drops of water that will sp split a rock. Boy, what an analogy! Uh, if continuing long enough. The, the rock uh, there are trying to split is Americanism, or unlike the fucking Fountainhead or Atlas Shrugged. Any any of those books could have done with a little hint of subtlety. They just kept ramming home the stupid message. Bam, bam, bam. Or, or like character development. <laughs> oh man, I don't fucking get how people think that that's it's fucking terrible. She I mean, she's not a good writer. Oh, no, she thought that guy was the hero. Like she yeah. didn't understand. <laughs> Neil Pert, I love you. What did you see in the, in her? I don't understand. Mm. Anyway. Like somebody said um, yeah. about, what was it about? So I forget who they said. It was about Boris Johnson, I think, that they watched Jaws and they thought that the hero was the mayor. You've got to keep this town open. This is when we make all our money. You know, a shark right. is killing people. There's no shark. Okay, just learn. <laughs> and the role of the mayor would be later uh, played by uh, President Joe Biden, putting people back to work and get out uh -huh. there for the economy during COVID. Yeah, COVID. Yeah, yeah. Anyways, or if you like another version, Bush, post nine eleven, mm. got to get out there, protect our freedoms, show them we can still shop and buy commerce. Anyways, that's, that's better because Joe Biden's the good guy. 
Right. Yeah. Okay. You really don't uh, like that, do you? <laughs> <laughs> oh, fuck. Don't get me started. Uh, I hate them both. Everybody mm. should know that by now. But only your friends complain when you trash oh my God. Obama oh my God. or Biden. Or anybody that's got a D beside their name. Then I don't fucking mm. understand it. Anywho, because we'll, that'll you. be another 20 minutes in the show. I keep, keep going yeah, on. Uh, when it comes to the now, no, you're good. You're good. Uh, what, uh, when it comes to the now Holloway classic, Rand claimed, it's a wonderful life, employed two common tricks used by communists to inject propaganda into the film. Uh, as we know, and was just, you know, buried into the uh, the hearings as well as the FBI. She was bold deep in the hearings. Yeah, yeah. To the hilt. So uh, a report from the FBI's Los Angeles field office shows that from 42 to 58, more than 200 Hollywood features were investigated by the Bureau. With the help of film industry's informants, uh, both uh, the content of the films and the personal involvement of their productions were scoured of signs uh, that may have had been transformed into weapons of communist propaganda. American picture, uh, sorry, American picture houses were, according to Hoover and his investigators, one of the key grounds on the USSR and its allies' planned fight uh, during the Cold War. Right. And as I just mentioned, that's uh, Ayn Rand, and of course, it already mentioned that uh, the Hollywood classic, you know, might be a little bit communist. So basically, anything that criticizes capital or anything that. Yep. Uh, shows i guess organized labor in a good light would be up for target right evil pure okay. evil right tripping with evil mm. so uh we have a report from the la office uh Ooh, hello. by by an unknown agent submitted from the hearings oh yep. so this is, yeah <clears throat> i was so, did you type all that did i type that i oh, i into How the script yes yeah you typed all that Yes, unfortunately. He gave me the script yesterday, and he's actually typed out not just the script, but he's typed out the redactions <laughs> as well as like little depth black bits. You typed yeah. that yourself, man. That's dedication. Yeah. Good for you. Man. I, Thank I, you. I, I don't waste any effort into this. Thank so. you. I appreciate it. My blood and sweater into this. Come on. Yeah. So I'll do my best to butcher. Merry Christmas. Yeah. Hey. Uh, well, I didn't show up. Appreciate the effort that Seamus has done to give me this wonderful second Christmas present. According to the informants, blank and blank, which, by the way, we believe one of those blanks is Andrean. Um, really? Yeah. The other, the other one, I'm not going to say because, uh, you know quite honestly, well, I know who they speculated is, and I can't okay. honestly, I can't remember the person's name right now. But whatever, I was trying to do the back stuff of this, I couldn't find anything that mentioned him at all. Okay. So, anyways, I don't know. Uh, Blank and blank uh, in this picture, the screen uh, credits again uh, uh, fail to reflect the communist support given to screenwriters. According to blank, the writers uh, Francis Goodrich and Albert Hackett were close known communists. And on occasion in recent past, while these two writers were doing a picture for MGN, Goodrich and Hackett practically lived with known communists and were observed eating lunch uh, and daily with such communists as Lester Cole, screenwriter Earl Robinson's screenwriter. Both of these individuals are identified in section one of the memorandum on communists. With regards to the picture, It's a Wonderful Life stated, sorry, blank stated, in substance, the film presents, sorry, represents the rather uh, obvious attempt to discredit bankers. By casting Lionel uh, Barrymore, you may know him uh, for uh, being being related to future scab Drew Barrymore. Um, mm -hmm. Lionel Barrymore as a Scrooge type, is pointing towards him for, the, for our benefit. This right, there's Lionel he's, Barrymore. He's no, 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 listen to me. See, this is Lionel. Bar yeah. That's water for how long you you've not. <laughs> Sorry, it's gonna come out now. I can't do it. It's Barrymore. all good. It's all good. Uh, so that uh, he some would long be the most senior-looking motherfucker in the background, like. Yeah, I don't think that guy ever speaks the whole film either. Oh, you yeah. notice the a bust of Napoleon in the corner there? That's also <laughs> yeah. the whole time. Um, so that he, uh, he would be the most hated man in the picture. This, according to sources, is a common trick used by communists. In addition, Blank stated that 
uh, in his opinion, this picture deliberately maligned up with uh, upper class attempts to show the people who had money were mean and despicable characters. Blank related that if he had made the picture portraying the banker, he would have shown this individual to have been following the rules as laid down by the state. Uh, oh, state bank examiners. <laughs> I blanked out bank examiners. Uh, that in connection with a great movie, doesn't it? Right, yes. Tell me more about how you're following the rules according <laughs> to the state bank examiners. Yeah, please read to me the procedures of such. Yes, exactly. Law. Paragraph two, uh, subset term. Yeah. With making uh, loans. I <laughs> loans further, uh, blank stated that the scene wouldn't have suffered uh, at all betraying the banker as a man who may have, uh, oh, sorry, who, who was protecting funds put in the care by individuals and adhering to the rules governing the loan money rather than portraying the part as is shown. In summary, blank stated that it, it, it was not necessary to make the banker such a main character, and I would have never have done it this way. So if, we're, I, were organizing, if I was organizing a wrestling match, I would tell people that The Undertaker performs a useful public service in preparing bodies for burial, not having portrayed as some sort of villain in a, in a theatrical fight. That's the, that's the vibes I'm getting from this particular complaint. Right. Yeah, if, if only this person had written for uh, WWE or something. Right? Mm. Uh, Blank recalled that approximately 15 years ago, a picture entitled The Letter was made in Russia. And was later shown uh, yeah, in this country. The source. Uh -huh, it's <laughs> uh, and it's also funny to refer to her as, you know, he. Come on. Why are you misgendering your source? Anyways, uh, he recalled that uh, in this Russian picture, individual who uh, had lost self respect as well as that of friends, neighbors, uh, because of drunkenness, and was given one last chance to redeem himself by going to the bank to get some money to pay off debt. The old man was a sympathetic character and was so uh, pleased at his opportunity that he was extremely nervous and fearing that he might lose the letter or a letter of credit rather, uh, or the money itself. Uh, in summary, the old man made the journey several days uh, duration to the bank and then back with no mishap until he fell asleep on his way on his homeward journey because of his determination to succeed on this occasion the package of money dropped out of his pocket. Upon home, the, uh, the man was so chagrined uh, that he hung himself. The next day, someone returned the package of money to his wife, saying that it had been found. So, you know, that's a good wholesome Russian tale. Uh, Blank draws a parallel. Replete with irony, typical Soviet. Yeah. Uh, Blank draws a parallel of this scene in the picture previously discussed is a similar for life, uh, showing that Thomas Mitchell, who played uh, the part of the man losing the money, which would be uh, Uncle Uncle uh, Bailey. Okay. Remember his, what the hell is his first name? We can't remember. Oh, no, it's George's his uncle. His name's George, right? Yeah, George Bailey's uncle. uncle's Thomas. No, it's not Uncle Thomas. I'll be honest, I just invented that. Just threw that out there. Okay, okay. <laughs> uh, loses his money in... Uh, and Capra's picture suffering the same consequences as the man in Russia, uh, and that of the picture was too uh, old and man to get out to make his money to pay off his debt in the banker. So basically, they're, they're just saying that you know, it's a similar yeah, it's a, it's a similar narrative, but you know, you know, of course they use this instead to put it on the fault of the bank. I've seen this movie a number of times, and I don't think they're castigating the banking system. Oh, like George does a spirited defense of the banking system at the end. He says, "Well, oh, my, my, I can't give you your money. Right. It's in George's house, and your money is in Tom's house." And that, right? He's trying to explain how the banking system works. How everybody's yes. loans are tied up in other people's deposits, and I can't give you all your deposits because I just don't have that money. Right. But he's not saying it's a bad system. He's saying this: this is how it works. All y'all need to calm down. This is not Argentina in the nineties. I cannot give you all your money. Yeah, and the only thing that I thought would be kind of close to, a, I mean, there probably is obviously some subtle. To use that you can yeah they're not really saying the banking system's wrong they're saying this particular uh, guy is doing it wrong he's being unkind to people for no reason yes. he could make a load of money off people yes. if he just calmed his shit out the, the only thing that i thought uh and i only really thought about this after i put this together was 
in the film there like whenever george you know has his existential crisis and he sees what yeah. the world would be without him um instead of bedford falls it's pottersville yeah and i kind of thought maybe that was kind of like the uh the the company towns like yeah. the Portmans and stuff like that i kind of thought maybe that was a commentary on that possibly but maybe you know, e even then you know it's not well, uh, I wouldn't put that guy in charge of a pigeon. Never mind a whole town. Yeah, yeah. And he's just not good for us. Nothing to do with the fact that he. I mean, he shouldn't be allowed out of his house unsupervised. No, this is just, just an unkind a, person. Yeah, he, he's just a greedy, evil bastard. He's pathologically unkind. Yeah. Uh, and George and is a nice guy. Right. I like uh, that movie. I like it's a wonderful life. It is a good movie. In closing, Bert Gurney. Uh, hey, Bert Gurney. <laughs> right. Uh, in closing, the FBI concluded that it's a wonderful life was a dangerous tool of communist apparatus and its use of the character George Bailey was a subtle sub, sorry subtle dangerous attempt to magnify the problems of so-called common man I mean so it's all right there Barry what's your problem no magnification like those are real problems that real people have yeah. like now in Ireland maybe not yeah maybe now in Ireland I don't know in 2008 or so on in, in America certainly and in Ireland people had real trouble paying their mortgages yeah and those houses went would would have gone to the banks if somebody didn't step in. So it's not like in the magnification of anything. It's a real situation people right. face. Like, no normal person has 150 or 200 grand to drop on a house. So no. you have to go and say, look, you give me 200 grand and I'll give you 20 grand for the next 15 years. And you're, pre you're prepared to put up with that for whatever reason. And this is our capitalist system, right? Ideally, people yeah. wouldn't have to do that, but that's their system. Yeah. And at some point, some of those people are going to be like without that cash. What are they supposed to do? Just tell them you can't live here anymore. It's a really weird thing to do. Yeah. Like, I don't know. I'm, I, I just, I, maybe I'm it's rough, simplistic, then. am I? No, I mean, it, it's it's rough. And, you know, this film does, though, kind of point out the problems of what happens with the common man. Mm. Why is that a horrible thing? That doesn't necessarily mm. say, well, then we need to kick out everything that's in America. You know? Mm. I mean, I mean, you might say that. I mean, you might say, hey, yeah, fuck this. We need to be, you know, more socialist or communist or or a third, you know, unknown option or a, a more of a mixed economy than we have in America. I mean, you can make those arguments, but... I mean, I think people should, a, should have the things they need. Yeah. People should have the things they need without having to worry about it. And then they should worry about other things, like yep. things they need, like water, right? Your water supply should be free, yep. right? It's not good. It doesn't come... I mean, right? And air, of course, is free anyway until they find a way to so monetize far. it, right? Yeah. <laughs> so like a tax. Right? But the things you need yeah. and a very basic level of, like, food maybe, like uh, nothing fancy, just a very basic subsistence level of food should be free. And then if you, you want to get fancy after that, if you want to have beef instead of lentils or whatever, then that's up to you. Get a job, right? That's what I think. Now, that's not what I think there is not communism. Yeah. It's not a direct want, correlation from anything be, from this movie either. You know what I mean? Yeah, fair enough, yeah. So. Yeah, but, but Ayn Rand uh, thought it did. Yeah, and and Barry Hoover's, Hoover's friends thought it did. <laughs> yeah, yeah, mm. fair. Um, so now, when you look at the faces of this film, right, the two that come to mind yeah. are obviously Jimmy Stewart and Frank. <laughs> He's looking particularly <laughs> camp in that photo. Yep, uh, of course. Uh, Jimmy, of course, being the lead actor. Uh, is that Frank Capra? Yeah. Yep. Oh wow, I've never seen him before. That's him. Why is that? Why is his hat hovering slightly over his head? Because it's not on his head. I think it's perched on the. Uh, That's not as funny though, was it? The recall. Yeah, I, I switched. <laughs> I just saw the picture. I was like, come on. Yep. So of course, uh, Jimmy Sir plays George Bailey. And now, if you look Campbell, at the, the director, home sweet home sign. You'll see it's in a pentagram. Oh. The sign of Satan. It's Proctor Gamble all over again. Sign of the Satan. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, it is true that they both uh, worked on uh, a populist film uh, or other populist films. Uh, involving a little man versus a uh, system kind of thing features okay. most notably the 1939 mr smith goes Great to goes washington, washington yeah um which i left out uh that because this that was filmed during the war that there was a little bit of pushback too about whether or not that should have been released well that's not communist. that's no. but it is anti-establishment yeah like you can't and that's what people were worried about because the war they didn't want people to be upset about mm. you know maybe that's the best time to make yeah. those movies Hey, uh, both men were in fact registered in staunch Republicans, 
both served. Uh, both who? Military. Uh, Stewart and... Oh, Jimmy Stewart and Frank Capra were both registered Republicans. Yes. Okay. Uh, both served in the military. Okay, they're army men. Uh, Capra uh, had uh, had made many war propaganda films uh, for the government. He oh, rose to the rank of colonel during his years of service. He's a colonel. Yep. And colonel he... Yep. He, okay. also, he also hated FDR. Well, wow. He would also had openly expressed admiration for the fascist regimes of Benito Mussolini and Frank, uh, Francisco Franco. You know, it's like a communist would do. I'm not right? feeling communist vibes from him so far. Not at all, right? No. Uh, despite this, uh, much like his modern contemporary, Clint Eastwood, uh, he would work with known left-wing screenwriters such as uh, Joe Swirling, Robert Raskins, Sidney uh, Buckman, uh, also um, Dalton Trumbo, had been one of the first people who wrote uh, or made an attempt to write the screenplay for It's a Wonderful Life, but pulled out mm. the last minute, by the way. Trumbo, um, I think, was a communist. Yeah, yeah, he was. Yeah. Um, like you can't. Cap uh, Capra, though, uh, would also uh, work to preserve and maintain his credibility by distancing himself from the proclivities of his collaborators by serving as an informant to the FBI. Collaborators. Uh, on, yep, on his left leaning peers. Oh, he was uh, an informant. He was an informant, yep. Okay. Uh, the FBI handed over the results of their investigation to the House of uh, on, on a bacteria. Uh, oh. Whack. Yeah, whack. Uh, the, the McCarthy shit, right? Uh, mm -hmm. But for uh, the one group chosen to avoid a winch hunt, uh, the film's writers and directors were not investigated any further. Mm. Uh, or this could be because their efforts to secure a witness to testify against suspected communists in Hollywood, his name was Frank Capra. Mm. So maybe that's why they didn't push it any further because they were like, hey, if this guy's on our side, we don't want to go down and. You know he also is clearly not a communist. Right? Investigating um, Film historian uh, Andrew Saris uh, observed it's curious that the censors never noticed that the villainous Mr. Prodi gets away with robbery without being caught or punished in any way. So again, they made us big stink about you know the banker and all this stuff. Mm. Nothing happened to him, and what mm. what they really highlighted here was the guy's nature. As far as you know, he fucking robbed, he took that money, never gave it back to to, mm. to George or anybody. That's what was wrong with that guy. Everybody else's conclusions were you know this is communism. Blah, blah, blah. That's because that's what they wanted. Right? So, mm. yep. So, uh, yeah, it's a wonderful life. Uh, didn't get blacklisted, and uh, now it's uh, it's popular in Ireland as well. Classic. Is it really? Yeah, I'm sure it's popular everywhere. It's a very um, relatable movie. Yeah, hmm. I think most people can relate to the idea of wanting to live in their house, sure. Yeah, and they can also relate to the idea of having suboptimal dealings with their bank. Yeah. Most people around the world, I think, relate to that. Maybe not in Vietnam, but most people can relate to it. <laughs> Maybe not in Cuba. Yeah. And you can also make the case that the, you know, money actually made things okay for the main character in the end. Yeah. Because everybody came together and gave him money. Yeah. And also, I think we can all relate to the idea of what would the world be like if I wasn't in it. Right. Have I really done anything useful with my time here? And of course, whether it's useful or not, we've certainly, as that movie does a good job of explaining, We've touched many people's lives in many different ways, I would yeah. expect. I don't know, obviously, because I am here, and I don't know what it's like if I wouldn't be here, but I've certainly thought about it. Would things be better oh. or worse without me, you know? Well, the other thing was with the character, George Bailey, he was constantly, you could tell, he was constantly bothered by the fact that he was unable to go. Yeah. Right? And that was also something that happened to a lot of young men around that time. They mm. didn't go to, to, you know, didn't go over and serve. They were kind of looked as a pariah, like, why mm. are you here? Why aren't you over there? You know, doing what you're supposed to be doing. Why is my brother worthless heap of trash? Yeah, mm. you know, and that that was you know something that was kind of you know sprinkled in along the way because his brother. You're not a worthless heap of trash, George. You are a wonderful person. Yeah, and your wife loves you, and your kids are amazing. Yep. Yeah, of course, it took you know existential crisis for him to figure it out. It did. It took an angel visiting him. Yeah. Some of us don't get the angel. We just have to work it out using our heads. Yeah. <laughs> And hope hope we leave the world a little better, the world of our influences, our particular sphere, a little bit better than when we arrived, right? Yeah. I see for for me the other the other uh, classic, the, the other one is 
Uh, it's a Christmas story, which if you notice, my tree is up. It's the lake lamp from the movie. It's Christmas yeah. story. So, uh, unfortunately, I couldn't find the FBI trying to censor that. So, <laughs> they were okay with it, I guess. So, so yep, that's all I got, man. Um, and we we talk about the the other one. Yep. Okay. Um, Seamus gave me this story. He said, this sounds interesting. We could do this for a Christmas show. And I said, okay. But Barry being Barry, I couldn't just tell the story. I have to place it in context and give a bit of background, right? So this is what we've done. Bold opening move in my, in my script, which I refuse to delete or apologize for, says, what does the CIA do, right? <laughs> what does the CIA do? Um, according to their own website, and this is a quote, uh, to stop threats before they happen and further US national security objectives, we collect foreign intelligence, produce objective objective analysis, and conduct <laughs> covert action as directed by the president. We do not make policy or policy recommendations. Instead, our agency serves as an independent source of information for, uh, for people who do. We are not a law enforcement organization. However, we do work with the intelligence community, the DOD, and law enforcement agencies on many complex issues ranging from counterintelligence to counterterrorism. Now, that's what the CIA says they do. The CIA regularly consults for Hollywood movies which feature the company, the company meaning the CIA. For example, Homeland and Black Hawk Down. And if you've seen those things, you will smell the CIA off them. This might be why those productions make the CIA look competent and almost useful. The company had script approval for the TV series The Americans. There's a guy tasked by the CIA with dealing with movies and television shows, and he is called the Office of Public Affairs Entertainment Industry Liaison, or OPAPAIL. <laughs> the current, oh, the that's, this is not an acronym, I just made it up, by the way. That's the name of the guy. <laughs> don't use the acronym, because that would be silly. The current Opapail is a guy called Paul Barry, which is a very Irish-sounding name. I mean, I went, to, I went to college with a guy called Paul Barry. And before him was a guy called Chase Brandon, which must be the most American-sounding name I've ever heard. <laughs> Chase Brandon. <laughs> Fucking two yuppie names. Just yeah, what's next? Uh, Chase Brandon, Dylan... Uh, anyway. Brandon was an onset wait, wait, advisor. Wait, wait. Dylan Preston. Dylan Preston, there you go. There you go. Um, yeah. Brandon was an onset advisor during the shooting of The Sum of All Fears and also Enemy of the State, the Will Smith movie. Mm -hmm. Paul Barry, on the other hand, uh, believes that Hollywood is the only way that the public learns about the agency. And he apparently doesn't think yeah, that the public yeah. reads newspapers or watches podcasts or the only way the public learns about the CIA is by watching Hollywood movies, according to this guy. So I don't know. Well, wait a he minute. Wishes. Wait a minute. So that sounds like that they're putting their ideas into film. No, we do. we've already said they wouldn't do anything like that, remember? Oh, oh okay, you're right. It must they, be a mistake. They wouldn't, okay, yeah, no, no, they would never do sorry, that. Sorry. Uh, he worked particularly closely with the producers of Argo, the Ben Affleck movie. Mm -hmm. None of this has to do with Christmas, sorry. Uh, we <laughs> promised you some Christmas stuff. Jingle, jingle, jingle. Uh, so here we go. In 2000, the year, Universal Studios released How the Grinch Stole Christmas. Direct, there he is. Directed by Ron Howard and starring Jim Carrey. Here are some facts about that movie. One, Morris Noble, who worked on the original 1966 animated special, was so upset by this film he cried, claiming Universal ruined it. Uh, Fair. I, I don't know. Number two, uh, this was the number one film in North America five weeks running on release and became the highest grossing film of 2000 in the U States of A. And they have to admit that's impressive for any movie. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, number three, fact about this movie. How the Grinch Stole Christmas won the best makeup Oscar in the year 2000. Even wow. people who didn't like the movie or haven't even seen the movie agree on this. It is fantastic. Uh, they somehow managed to Grinch carry up convincingly without restricting the wide range of facial contortions for which he is justifiably famous. And you can see it, you get a touch, a touch oh, of that yeah. and you can see the makeup, but it's also, Jim Carrey's got a very elastic kind of face and it, they did a yeah. great job of the makeup. Very the makeup, expression of person does a lot of this face. Yeah, but also quite Grinchy. The, yeah. the, 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 the balance they struck with the rest of the special effects, not so much, but that is deserved the Oscar. The makeup but, designer. Uh, I think I think something else though you left out, Barry. Just kind of maybe touch on this. That whatever the uh, whatever he saw the film, uh, Boris Karloff, who did all the voices for it, yeah. dropped that immediately. <laughs> <laughs> the movie killed him. Although I think he died six years before that, so it's probably not. okay. So it wasn't like the very hour it was broadcast, he died. It wasn't a case of that. No. No. Not like no. the. Okay. Okay. Not like some people. Not like my. Yeah, okay. The makeup designer was Rick Baker, 
who has a bunch of Oscars for his work, including the makeup on Men in Black and An American Werewolf in London, which, if you've seen it, is uh, oh, that's, something that's of a makeup great. triumph. Yes. Um, he also worked on Fuck Star Wars and The Exorcist and Tropic Thunder, which the makeup for which Ooh. he did that. <laughs> he was involved in that. So we're just gonna. Uh, okay. Well, he didn't get an Oscar for that, so that's okay. <laughs> no, um, like what do you mean, you people? Anyway, uh, it took some experimentation before they settled on a suit for, for this part here, uh, which is made of yak hair dyed green and attached oh, wow. to a spandex suit for, for the body. Uh, the makeup took two and a half hours to put on uh, every day and an hour to take off every night, right? Two and a half hours to put on every day and an hour to take off every night, which That's is that. a long time to just suit up for a job, right? Any job. Carrie said it was like being buried alive, which is not cool, right? Eventually, the claustrophobia and the constantly itchy yak hair and the yellow and red contacts scratching his eyeballs got to him. I couldn't see. I couldn't breathe. I couldn't scratch myself. The physical restraints were unbelievable. It was like having a refrigerator strapped to your back, said Carrie. Now, his response was at the time he got angry, um, which is an entirely natural response. Uh, the makeup artist, uh, Kazuhiro, which is his um, anglified name, his Japanese name is slightly less pronounceable. Uh, Kazuhiro said, on set, uh, Carrie was really mean to everybody. And at the beginning of production, um, they couldn't finish. After two weeks, we only had three days worth of shooting because suddenly oh, wow. he would just disappear. And when he came back, everything was ripped apart. We couldn't shoot anything. Now, at one point, he kicked a hole in the wall of his trailer. He was angry the whole time. Uh, Hero had had enough and walked off the set and straight into a psychotherapist's office. Wow. Yeah. And this is not, this is not um, congruent with the Jim Carrey I know, by the way, but I believe all this. Um, oh, he's married, he was married to Jenny McCarthy. I mean, what do you expect? <laughs> you know, I mean, I, you, yeah. you know, fucking basket case too. If you had a little bit there, it was it was the makeup. <laughs> <laughs> uh, enter, sure, Brian, well. enter Brian Grazer, uh, the producer of How the Grinch Stole Christmas. Grazer won an Oscar too for A Beautiful Mind, and he worked on movies like Splash and Apollo Thirteen. He had an idea. One of the CIA people I talked to years before specialized in training U.S. agents to survive torture if they were captured. We had an actor being held prisoner by his costume. He was being tortured by his makeup, which is true. Grazer's CIA contact spent a weekend with Carrie, training him in distraction techniques and how to endure discomfort and unpleasantness. If you're freaking out and spiraling downward, turn the television on, change a pattern, or have someone you know come up and smack you in the head, punch yourself in the leg, or smoke. Smoke, smoke as much as you possibly can, uh, Carrie said when he was talking about it on the Graham Norton show. Carrie adopted these techniques. Smoking what was he smoking, though? I guess regular cigarettes. I don't know. Sure. Sure. Okay, well, I've seen his, we've seen his performance, so it was probably cocaine. Um, he adopted these techniques, smoking cocaine almost constantly, using one of those Hunter Thompson holders to make yeah, sure yeah. the yak hair didn't catch fire. And um, he also ate a lot, anything at all to distract you. And apparently, uh, during the shoot, he used to punch himself in the leg all the time just to distract his, his physiology. That works, too, by the way, for lots of things. Mm, just yeah. punch yourself a slap oh, yourself. Yep. Fall asleep. I've had it a lot of times, you know, where you've been working so many hours and you're trying to concentrate. You don't want to fall you don't want to fall asleep. You gotta you know, Or if you have a like a headache or a toothache or something, just like like if you have a, a very sore arm or something, just slap somewhere near it. Like that. Like a tattoo. Like you see you got a tattoo and it takes a while to heal. If it's very sore, just slap some other part of your arm and your your brain gets confused. Where's the pain coming from? And it kinda of helps take the pain off the rest of it. Um, so that, all that works. Um, <clears throat> so he, yeah, he also ate a lot. However, at no point, according to Ron Howard, did Carrie request that the suit or makeup be toned down or adjusted. Uh, Carrie knew the makeup was fantastic. And once he was actually acting in front of the camera, his discomfort was irrelevant. It didn't register with him at all. All these problems only arose in the long periods of prep and downtime movies always have. Uh, once Carrie camped down a bit, Hero returned, his makeup artist returned, and the movie was allowed to continue. By the end of filming, Carrie said he had learned patience, which I guess is how he evolved into the fairly zen character we know today. And by the end, you could literally hit me in the face with a baseball bat, and I would have gone, good morning, nice to see you. So I guess when uh, a weekend spent with the CIA agent did great things for Jim Carrey, turned him into a Buddhist. Uh, you know, kind of disappointed because... I wanted the CIA to just stick to being CIA. Yeah. You know? Well, in our last show, we were talking about um, uh, Lao. And Lao spent uh, 
about about 10 years with the CIA and, and they did not, I mean, they started off Buddhist and they ended Buddhist, but uh, they did not benefit anything at all from that, no. from that interaction. You know. And there's, they're still paying the price in their the lives of their people. But Jim Carrey is a better person today, I would say, a better person and better able to handle the vicissitudes of things and arrows. I think he's also divorced from <laughs> you still really think it's Jenny McCarthy did that to him, made him go mad? I don't know. I mean, I know she's an anti-vaxxer. She's also just... Well, she wasn't always like that, was she? I don't remember her being like that before. She, that's a that's only in the last 15 years or so, wasn't it? Oh, maybe he did it to her then. I don't know. Maybe I'm being a, <laughs> maybe I'm being a misogynist. That's what it is. Maybe Jim Carrey being an asshole made her crazy. And then he stopped being asked. I like him now. I like his attitude about everything now. If you see him being interviewed, like at, at events and so on, he's got a very down to earth, sort of realistic attitude about everything. And he paints his pictures. And I just kind of like the guy now. Yeah. But I guess he's he was kinda, an asshole during that set. He's not as cool as Keanu Reeves, but he has a lot of that chillness. He's quite now. chill. Yeah. It helps a lot to just sort of think, well, this is happening right now. Something else will happen. Everything's fine. Everything's going to be okay. Don't get worried about, don't get angry. Don't get bitter, you know? It's not all about life. me. Not all about me. Nothing's about me. I am not real. Any concept I have of my own personality and myself is a fiction I've, inve I've invented. I'm telling myself a story constantly. And that story might be bullshit. This, this is your own self-reflection? Yep. Okay. Okay. I've, uh, what else I've, is troubling you, Barry? I've come to that. Con no, this is not trouble. It's the opposite of trouble. Nothing troubles me now. It's fantastic. Nothing troubles you now? That happens. Like, no matter what That's happens, not true. Stuff that happens. That's cool. not true. That's not true. <laughs> I do. Okay, I'm constantly anxious. Yeah, but yes. I, do try, I do try to have that opinion, though. I have that intellectual approach. I'll put it that way. My body doesn't sometimes play games. My body feels the anxiety, but the intellectual approach helps. If you just say, well, this is all just stuff that's happening. Like sometimes, instead of trying to stop being anxious, I'll just say, well, look, this, this time of being anxious is just a part of the cost of what I want to do. So okay. I have like, I don't like talking to people or being around people. So if I have to go to the supermarket, I'll just say, well, look, I'm going to go to the supermarket and I am going to feel anxious. So instead of trying to stop myself from feeling anxious, I'll just say, look, that's just part of it. Just feel anxious, just be anxious. And that's part of it. And eventually you will be out of the supermarket with the shopping in your hand and then everything will be okay. So that's different. I, I, yeah. Oh no, what am I going to do? I have to reduce my anxiety. No, fuck <laughs> that, man. just let it go. It's fine. Just be anxious. Yeah. It's okay. I think yeah. that you have a lot of common when it comes to that. Do you not like being around people either? But do you feel it like? I, uh, do yes. you feel it like an anxiety? Oh, okay, yeah. I, I get anxious. It's at times when I'm in this situation, but leading up to it, mm. especially, like if I know I have to go to the store and have to deal with a lot of, you know, there's gonna be crowds, there's gonna be waiting, blah yeah. blah blah. I get seriously anxious, like bothered yeah. going into it. Sometimes though, like it fades away. Yeah, but yeah. then it'll creep back in while I'm there. So at some point, it always happens, and then I just mm. you know, force myself to. Chill the yeah. fuck out. So, I was in a bar once, and I had some sort of shutdown where I just couldn't communicate. There was right. a lot of people around, and they were shouting, and there were there was a lot of people happening, and I couldn't. I had to sit where I was, and I I left. I went outside for a while, and then I had to come back in again, and I went outside again, and I just couldn't. And I just sat there, and I couldn't talk to anybody or do anything, and eventually, it stopped. <laughs> But it took me a day or two to get over that, you know. So I don't sure. know if you'd call that autism or something, but it's not. I don't go to bars like. Uh, sometimes I'm okay with bars. It depends upon the bar. Mm. Well, I don't drink. The, so, oh yeah. I mean, it also depends upon what the situation is, as in like, you mm. know, like, like if you're going to a bar and it's going to be revolving around uh, a game, a sporting event. That's a little yeah. bit different because everybody's going to be focused on that event. Mm. So there's a little bit of camaraderie. Oh, yeah, yeah. Events, so it's not the, same. the expectations are different. Well, I, yeah. I don't mind going to a wedding because usually if I go to a wedding, the people, if they invite me, they put me on the kids' table because they know me. And I can handle kids. I don't mind kids. Kids are great because yeah. kids just tell you whatever they think. So you, you don't have uh, to worry what's going to happen. They'll tell you you, uh, are, uh, you you have a big nose or something. You know, A kid will just say that to you straight out. And that's cool. right? I'm, I can I, deal with all that. I usually end up at the table where the the band or you know people like that are at. Well, of course, you're a musician. But it, but I don't play it like mm. they just stick me there usually. So mm. yeah. you like these people? They're musicians yeah. too. Sometimes that works. Sometimes I'm not because mm. 
musicians can be assholes, just in case you didn't know. I'm reminded of the uh, the Cabot interview with George Harrison, where he says something like, "As a musician," and George Harrison says, "I'm going to stop you there. I'm not a musician. You you have heard me play. I'm not a musician. I'm a songwriter." Okay, and he says, "Okay," and I guess I there's a difference. Love George. I fucking love George. Oh yeah, yeah. He all his songs are in G. Do you notice that they're all in the same key? Yeah, every about, single yeah, you're right. Because he's not a musician. He can't play. He's just a songwriter. Oh, he, he likes ding diddling, ding ding diddling, ding ding diddling. But he can't, uh, he's not, like he's not like Eric Clapton. No, but he's pretty fucking good. And he also he's not a guitarist. A like, he's not a good yeah, guitarist. He's just he's like... Good. Uh, I, I disagree. He is a really? very good guitar player. Very underrated. I'm not saying I don't like him. I like him a lot. Um, I mean, yes, it's unfair to compare him as far as like his lead work. So, and Eric Clapton, obviously he would even say that. If he, you know. um, but he could play the sitar like nobody's... Well, yeah, that's it. fair enough. Yeah. You know? that's so, a I mean, he's... Instrument. Yeah. So he is, yeah, he is an accomplished musician. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I, I overstated. Yeah, that's on me. Sorry. Well, that's okay. But, but, but he I think he was a musician. Did Cabot? And maybe he. Oh, I, I absolutely believe he. Maybe what he's thinking of is somebody who's like a classically trained violinist watching that interview, saying, "Musician, shit." You know, <laughs> like so. Maybe <laughs> thinking of those people. I don't know. Yeah, but like as as far as the Beatles go, he is by far my favorite Beatle, just because as a person. I mean, out yeah. of all those guys, I would fucking love to sit down and have a beer with him, just hang out. The other three. Yeah, you don't like Ringo? not so much. I have nothing against Ringo. I just After think George is a part for you. Uh, yeah, <laughs> but he did help us get Joe Walsh, right? So speaking of good, well, Ringo, someone else would have sang Yellow Submarine, and it wouldn't have been the same. Sure, <laughs> Ringo's Paul McCartney's a bit of a dick. Um, John I had I his like loads of McCartney. I know he's well, a bit think... but I like him. Yeah. He's got that cheap car salesman kind of thing. Sometimes it just gets on my nerves. I mean, he's constantly he's going, trying to sell the going band. For that. Maybe I he's don't going know. for that cheap cars. I mean, that's his brand, isn't it? That's he's trying to be a man of the people, even though he's a billionaire. I don't know. There's just something about him like that. You I think he's unctuous? Sorry. You think he's unctuous? You think he's oily? A little bit. Like some of that. Oh, I like. Him. I don't think that at all. I like him. I don't. Know. There's just always been something about him that rubs Okay. And, and John, John was, I don't know. Sometimes he was, was very edgy all the time for yeah. even, even in matters that required no edge. Yeah. And, yeah. and just the whole sleeping thing. I don't I think I sent, sent you a picture of this. This is the one thing you like. I mean, because like growing up, because always like the, the anti establishment music, right? Yeah. So I'd obviously working class here is still fucking awesome, yeah. right? Um, but the fucking sit in, mm. there's a picture of him and Yoko. Standing next to the bed, waiting for the maid to, to clean the bed so that they yeah. can go in and protest against what right. they're doing to the maid. It's like, yeah. oh, you're so close, Joe. It's a bad you're look, so right? Yeah, it's just the optics were not good on that. Hmm. I don't know. Anywho, hell, we just went on for 10 minutes talking about the Beatles. Sorry. Guys. Yeah. <laughs> but hey, uh, in two weeks, uh, we'll be doing this shit live. So, that's happening, yeah. That's going to happen. It's happening. That's definitely. It's happening. I'm not anxious about it. Everything's fine. So just no, don't worry about me. Everything's fine, okay? All. We're all good. Hey, there's going to be at least four other people on the show, right? Great. Yeah, more people. That's a way to reduce my anxiety. Thanks. Well, the four of us will be the ones that everybody needs to worry about. Not okay. you, Mary. The okay. chat. I, the good thing is the chat. I will be less active in the chat, so that's good okay. because I usually Maybe. talk a lot of rubbish in the chat. So you can all just relax and just enjoy yourselves in the chat. Barry's not going to be hopping on every little thing, so <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll definitely do my best to try to get the, the chat going. So, cool. uh, Chesh, uh, who was uh, Chesh said she'd be there, didn't she? Yep. Uh, so we're gonna and John uh, Hudson is also going to be on John Hudson, also. returning champion. Yep. Yes. So those two for sure. Uh, I'm not going to say. The last time we invited Chesh on, we made the mistake of telling her what we were talking about. She did her this homework, and yeah. she ended up. I don't know if you've seen that the the episode is called PB Success, and if you watch the episode, you can see the light dying in my eyes as the time goes on. You can see the little twinkle going away, realizing that Chesh is handing me my ass in an increasingly embarrassing fashion, and this is after Seamus edited around it. Seamus <laughs> edited. The best he could to try and make me look like I knew what I was doing. Oh, no, no, no. <laughs> no, 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 no. So, actually, uh, 
what I edited wasn't for that purpose, but you I don't want to say it. You told me you could fix it no, in post. I fixed something in post, but it wasn't that. Sent, I sent <laughs> so, a message to Twitter saying, is there anything you could do to rescue my dignity? And you said, yeah, don't worry about it. I like fix it in post. I did, yeah. I did some editing, but it did. You, but, okay. So you just told me you could fix it in post. You saw the episode, Barry. Did you I not remember see the recording okay. it? Yeah, yeah unfortunately, you you're just focused on the chat. The point is, Chesh did her research, and she ended up knowing more about it than I did. And she she kept saying things, adding detail to what I was saying, and I was move on to the next bit. And she was, was adding like, more. No, detail. no, it's worse than that, Barry. Yeah, you forgot about this. It was. Like, she was telling. She was saying things that I and I did research her as I research everything. But she was saying things that I hadn't heard of, so I don't even know what her sources were. But it was. It was. I mean, it's a good podcast what you will see oh, me yeah, dying yeah. inside throughout realizing <laughs> and not i can't do anything about it because she's doing she's basically doing a barry so i can't complain or mention it or anything you just see me kind of slumping in my seat going, oh god why did yes, she absolutely that? did a barry because that she was did. something that she used to do she another show yes yeah, she was so. she like i have a a cachet i have a niche and it, uh, the thing is i research and i write the podcast scripts and they're exactly the way i want them and i think they're perfect the way they are <laughs> She outdid me at my own thing, and it's just not cool. Chesh. Oh, it was cool. Oh, it's cool. Yeah, for everybody yeah. except me. Yeah, fine. But the good the good news is we don't have an agenda for the live show. I don't think, do we? We do. Why? Don't Should tell us. Don't tell Chesh about it. Okay, we won't say what it is. Okay, cool. Yeah, but it's a live show. Uh, December twenty seventh. Oh, yeah, I know what the thing is. Yeah. But basically, so, there's no way she can make me look right. like an idiot. Well. Well, no more, than, no more than you, anyone else would. <laughs> that's just no more than usual. As opposed yeah. to the comprehensive spanking she gave me on PB Success. The show is called PB Success. It's about the CIA-arranged coup in Guatemala in 1954. It's a great episode. It's a great topic. And if you like the idea of watching me have my ass handed to me, what, forcing me to eat my own ass over and over again, uh, you can watch that show because that's what Chesh does. Now you're making it sound very unappealing, Barry. It's making it sound very what? Unappealing. Unappealing. Like that's a metaphor. You eat your own ass. Actually, she's forcing me to eat humble pie. What, what, is oh, there a better way to put it? Okay. Spoon feeding me my own warm diarrhea over and over again. Humble pie is fine. Okay, but it's not just a good band. Anyways, okay. it's back to music. All right. Yeah. So yeah, hey. December twenty seventh, uh, six p.m. Eastern. Hawaii day soon. Eleven p.m. UK. Correct. Yes. Yeah, thanks for joining us, and we will see you uh, upon the uh, special live episode. Wish me luck because I will have anxiety. Bye, everybody. <laughs>